Well, over the last few weeks, we've been talking about uh, the grand arc of the biblical story of salvation. And the passage I want us to look at this morning centers on Mary. Because in this text, where we find our memory verse, we also find something bigger than that. We find the answer to the question, who is the Messiah? Who is the Christ? Now, within Christian circles, we often use the word Messiah. We throw it out there, we'll, we'll say it. But sometimes I'm not sure we fully grasp the meaning of it. Messiah is merely a synonym for the word Christ. So you could say Jesus Christ, you could say Jesus Messiah. It's the same thing, it's just a different language being spoken. But by definition, Messiah means this, the promised one, the promised anointed one, the one whom God decided from time immaterial immemorial that would come and serve as our sacrificial lamb. He would purchase our atonement and he would redeem our sin. Let me remind you, we looked at a couple weeks ago, God's plan has always been to redeem us all the way from the fall of humanity. He says, I'm going to redeem my people. And then last week we noticed where the prophet Isaiah had told us that the Messiah would rise in Galilee, and he would show up in the lands that are called, back then were called Zebulun uh, and Naphtali. And it's in this background, and all of this in mind, that we come to this story. So the, let's look at Luke chapter 1, verse 26 and following. And the first thing I want you to notice is this. God reveals his plan for Mary's life. Look at the passage with me. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in, oddly enough, Galilee, which is what the prophet Isaiah had said years before, uh, to a city in Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But he, but she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now as this story opens, we find a strange little conversation happening somewhere in the Galilee, somewhere around a village called Nazareth, with the angel of the Lord coming and speaking to what was most likely a teenaged girl. She was young, living in the Galilee. Remember other passages we find that she was probably not native to that area. Uh, I did some archaeological research. Yes, I'm kind of a nerd sometimes. But I did some research on, on history and, and archaeology of this area this week. And there's some recent studies and surveys have been done on the archaeology of the area. Come to find out that this region pretty much laid fallow from the fall of the northern kingdom around 700 B.C. till about 100 B.C., about 600 years it sat fallow. And you kind of go, well, how in the world did Joseph and Mary end up in this part of the world? Because we know from other passages they weren't from there. They were immigrants, if you want to look at it from one way. Most scholars agree that it's uh, because the people had come from the southern parts of the nation to repopulate the area, which kind of makes sense when you find out later that Mary and Joseph went where to get counted? Back south. So here they are in this area, and it also means something else to me, that her family was likely very religious family, very committed to their faith. You're thinking, well, I thought all Jews were committed to their faith. Yeah, just like all Baptists are committed to their faith, you know, 
are all Catholics. I mean, it's, it, we can't be, we have to be careful to have a monolithic idea with them. But here they are. And so as she grew up in that region, would go to, uh, the meetings on Friday nights to have worship and to hear scriptures read because they didn't have copies of the, of the Old Testament to carry themselves, she would have heard the stories of the promised Messiah. She would have likely heard the story from Isaiah that he would rise in this part of the world. She would have surely heard that there was coming a day when Messiah would be revealed and she probably even kind of grasped a little bit about the idea that the location would be where she lived. But to that night, actually hear the words from an angel was surely startling. Can you imagine, ladies? You're 13, 14, 15 years old, and an angel shows up and talks to you. Wow. That'd blow me away. No matter what gender I am, there are only two, by the way, and no matter what age I am, I'm there, okay? And here's the situation. She's in that moment, and she's betrothed to a a distant relative, a kinsman from the tribe of Judah, by the way, who was from the area of David's tribe. And it meant that this, she was legally committed to marry. She was married under the law. Remember Joseph, when he found out about the pregnancy, he wanted to do what? To divorce her. You're going, well, you don't divorce somebody you're not married to, do you? Well, he was married, though they hadn't completed the process of getting married. And God reveals his plan. Can you imagine? He says, I got a plan for you, girl. She was found favor with God. She's going to conceive in her womb a unique child. This child is going to be born. He's going to have a name. His name is going to be what? Jesus. And he will reign over the house of Jacob, of Israel, forever. And his kingdom would have no end, just like the prophet said 700 years before. She was going to be an active participant in the fulfillment of a prophecy of old. Going to carry the promised Messiah, the Christ, would deliver him, would raise him, would one day have her heart broken as she watches him being crucified. But this girl would become a mama. A major shock? Yeah. Surprise? Absolutely. But here's what I want you to grasp in this moment. She was faced with what? A decision. She's faced with a decision at this moment. Would she hear these words coming from God through an angel and go, yeah, that ain't going to happen? Or does she say, I believe? I believe that's what's going to happen. I believe that God can do this. I believe that God can work in this way. And I don't understand why he's asking me to do it. I don't know why he's choosing me to be a part of it, but I'm going to go, okay, I can be a part. What's going to be her answer? Y'all know her answer, but can you imagine in the moment how you felt? What do we do? What do I do? Me? So what she does here is raises what I call a valid question. You ever ask God a question? I've asked God questions all the time. How about you? There's not, we're going to find it in a little bit. I'm going to tell you ahead of time, but it's okay to ask God questions. You know that, don't you? It's okay to come to God and say, God, I don't understand. God, help me fill, fill in. God, show me. God, help teach me. I need to understand. Look what happens. Mary says to the angel, what a great question. How shall this be since I am a virgin? You know, sometimes in our modern sensibilities, we think people in the ancient world didn't understand physiology. They did. They understood where children came from. They knew what had to happen for a kid to happen. They got it. So she asked a logical question. She goes, uh, I've never done anything to conceive a child. How can this happen? 
Imagine with me, you're Mary, you've heard this announcement. God-fearing follower of Yahweh, you believe God can move, you believe God can act, you believe God can speak in any way he wants to, and yet this encounter of hearing God has all of a sudden become what? Very, very real. God wants to do something with her life. I think some of us would have been what? Attempted to run away. Nope, I'm out of here. Nope. Other of us would have gone, man, that can't happen. Not going to happen. Others might have believed that maybe you're trying to pull a prank on me. But not Mary. She responds to the angel with a direct, thoughtful question. How will this be since I am a virgin? I think she's a girl mature beyond her years. But she was also a girl from a, ple- a peasant family, and she, she shows herself to be very practical, very direct. And remember, they understood reproduction in, the, in that generation. So the only question really in her mind was this, how could this happen? She knew what she had and had not done. She knew there was no physical way she could be pregnant. These activities weren't in her life at this point yet. And I also find it interesting how she doesn't say no or turn away, but instead she remains in the moment with the angel. And what she does here is amazing. She reveals the faith of a child. And she waits for clarification. She says, God, I need you to show me what you're doing here. I'm open to the possibilities. But how? How could this happen? How is this possible? How can you work? So she asks an open, honest, valid question. Let me tell you something. Be careful when you ask God a question. He'll most likely answer it. And God answers her question through the angel. Look at verse 35. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. Let me remind you, in that day, the Holy Spirit did not come and dwell with believers like he does today. He would come upon believers in the Old Testament. He would work with them for a while, then he would depart. And then he would come again at other times. Sometimes they would not experience the Holy Spirit for just a few days or hours in their lifetime. I can't even begin to imagine that as a New Testament Christian who has the Spirit of God within us all the time. But that's what happened. The Holy Spirit would come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will will be called Holy, the Son of God. Oh, and by the way, behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Linguistically, in the original language here, the passage is very clear, very direct in the original Greek. The Holy Spirit would come upon her and with the effect that he would accomplish what needed to be done. Now, what did that look like? That's not our point of today, okay? We're not going to go into the physics and the physicalities and all that. How did it work? I don't know how God accomplished it. You know what? Often God works in ways that we don't understand, right? And we don't have to understand it to believe that God is working. God is working this moment. And she says, well, this, but this was no mere physical contact, but it entailed a supernatural encounter of some kind that God brings about what his purpose is and his plan is and is based on his intent and on his purpose and his plan. And the moment is going to be filled with the power of God to accomplish a supernatural moment where the unique God-man Messiah would be created. And created is not even the right word. Would come to be in the form of a baby. Jesus has always existed. 
And he was somehow merged with and co-mingled with human experience at that moment to be the person that we needed to bring salvation for us. The child would be called holy, not because of Mary, but because of the Holy Spirit. And God reveals he's able to do what needs to be done to accomplish what he wants. And then God sends a word through the angel to say, oh, by the way, you don't think these things can happen? You know Elizabeth? Yeah, I know Elizabeth. We often think that she's a cousin. We don't actually know her relationship to Mary other than she's probably from Mary's side of the family, not Joseph's side of the family because of Elizabeth's lineage and being in the tribe of Levi. But she could be a cousin. She could have been an aunt. She could have been a third cousin 12 times removed. We don't know, but she's related. If you want to get real technical, all of them over there were related because they all came from one couple, Abram and Sarai, way back. So you could really have a long connection. But here's the reality. The closest was secondary to what the angel was saying. He says, women of that age don't normally get pregnant. But guess what? Elizabeth's pregnant. God can do whatever God wants to do in the life of a person who's willing to be used by God. He says, it's working in her life. Mary, the offers to you. It could work in your life. God's ways are not like our ways. So God has revealed his plan. He's raised a valid question. He's reinforced his mighty power. But look what happens. A decision still has to be made, right? Mary asked the question, but has he said yes or no yet? Has she said agreed to be a part of it? No, not yet. Y'all have already got this memorized because we've been working on it all month. But you got the verse right here. Look at verse 38. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Literally, that word means bond servant. It might translate in some cultures as slave. That's a really powerfully charged word in our culture, so they don't translate it that way in English because we all freak out about something else that's in our culture. But that's really the idea is, God, I am your bond servant. You are my master. You are my boss. You are my controller. You will do whatever you want to do with me. Can, can you imagine the faith that she just expressed here? Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And then the angel departed from her. Would she agree or not? We find out real quickly. She's not going to debate whether she had free will. Well, do I get to choose or not? We could talk about that for hours. We're not going to. That misses the moment. Did God foreknow that she was going to accept this? I believe he did. Had Mary said no, what would have happened? Well, somebody else would have been chosen to be a part of the plan, but God would have known that in Already, and so let's don't go there. But stop for a moment to grasp the power and the importance of her words. Look at the four four things I want you to see about how she responded here. First, she recognizes what? Who she is. Oh, friends, it's powerful to understand who you are. Do you know who you are? Do you really know who you are? Mary knew who she was. She didn't see herself as the mother of God. I promise you, that is a late invention added by another denomination to the whole story. That is not even part of the, of the New Testament story. She also didn't see herself as some kind of super saint. Oh, I'm really, really spiritual, and I'm going to be able to accomplish this because I'm so spiritual and so in tune with God. Instead, she says she's a what? A servant. Hmm. We've heard that word in the service this morning already, the word servant. The word translated servant here is literally a bond servant. One who has no self-determination, no no self-leadership, has no direction on her own. She says, God, I'm yours. You do what you want to with me. 
I'm surrendered to you. Second, she assents to God's plan. Now catch this, exactly as God presented it. Did you catch that? You know, many of us would hear a plan like that. We'd go, but you know what, God? If you would do it this way instead, any of y'all do that? I have a, I hope he's not watching. I have a dad who, you come up with a suggestion for him, he will come up with 14 more ways you could do it. You know, he'll, he'll get, I'll, I'll be going to Dallas and he'll go, well, which way are you going to come? Oh my gosh, how many ways are there? I-30 goes straight there, right? He'll come up with six more for me. He goes, well, you could get off of here and you could go here. And you go, Listen, that's human nature, isn't it? We want to come up with other plans. Mary says, I'm not going to come up with another plan. Her answer was what? You ready? Three letters in English. Y-E-S. Yes. The best plan for her, the best path forward is to say yes. And then third, she doesn't question it any further. With her mind made up to follow God's plan, she doesn't add more questions. She doesn't say, well, now, okay, so what's the timing on this? Uh, you can almost hear, uh, let me be sexist for a woman wanting to know all the details. You ready? Now, what time is that going to happen? And when are we going to go? And where's it going to happen? And who's going to be? And how am I, where am I going to live? And what's it going to look like? Can I post it on Facebook yet? Can I do this? Ladies, men are just as bad, just in different ways. So we'll just let that go. But instead, she accepts God's plan and says, God, whatever you want to do, I'll do it. She didn't think through the consequences. She didn't think through her reputation becoming sullied. We read that in this Christmas story as well. We don't read the situation of having to travel at eight-something months pregnant, 90 to 100 miles to deliver a baby in Bethlehem. She didn't think all that stuff through because it didn't matter why. Because the God of the universe through an angel has said, come on, be a part of my plan. And she said, yes. There's nothing else to ask. And then fourth... At the end, she finds herself alone. Put that verse back up there for me, Jenna. And the angel departed from her. Theologically, I think there's more than just an angel departing. I think the Holy Spirit's presence and all that disappears. It would have must have been a very lonely moment in a sense, except what? She was in the middle of God's plan for her life. What better place to be? She said, I'm going to go forward. She wasn't alone. God was at work in this moment. So what do we do with this? Real quickly, I want to give you three thoughts as we wrap up the message part of the service. And the first one is simply this. I think it's been an application every week this series because I think it really is something we need to grasp. God really does have a grand plan for your life. Some of you think, oh, well, yeah, God's doing something in their life. God can do something in her life. God can do something in their life. No, I want you to hear this very clearly. God can do something in and has a plan for your life. Regardless of where you've come from, regardless of where you are, regardless of where you think you're going next, God surely has a plan for your life. And you are not an accident of nature. You're not an accident of your parents combining DNA some point in the past. You're not just all of a sudden here because, you know, it just happened. No, the God of the universe knew your name before you were conceived, before you were born, before you were sitting here today and has a plan for you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made with God having certain actions and activities he wants you 
you to be a part of. Some of you are going, well, not me. God didn't care about me. I'm here to tell you, God absolutely cares about you. God absolutely loves you. God absolutely has something for you. Don't think that way. Mary, she was invited to do what? To carry baby Jesus, to raise him and then grieve for him. She was invited to participate and her decision was to do what? Yes. You know, Paul had not yet written any of the letters yet when Mary's story happened. But there's a passage over in uh, 2 Corinthians, I think connects to this because they communicated the reality in which Mary lived. And I think it's a, a reality in which we need to find ourselves more often than not. And it's this, it says, he said this, for this light momentary affliction, you're going, what's he talking about, momentary affliction? Well, you could call it the affliction of life that we live in, in a big picture. You could also talk about it as the things that we deal with in life that just don't go right. Y'all have any of those? I do. That light momentary affliction that we go through, it's preparing us, he said, for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. You know, God doesn't take us home when he saves us because he's going to perfect us in this life. He's going to correct us. He's going to make us more like himself. Getting us ready for what? An eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. You know, God is at work at all the time. He's at work all around us. And often we don't see it. The things that we see, though, he says, are what? And that's an interesting word, transient. They come, they go, they happen, they're gone. Have you noticed you go to the grocery store, you fill up your cart, you come home, and then a week later you've got to go do it again. That's called transient. It comes and goes, it disappears. But the things that are unseen are what? Eternal. What I want you to see this Christmas season is that Mary grasped the big picture for her. It was something way bigger than she could imagine. It was something way bigger than that, that you and I can even begin to imagine. And she said, God, I don't get it, but I know who's asking me to be a part of it. And that's what matters. God, you have a grand plan for us. And following God will be difficult at times, but knowing God makes it all worthwhile. Saying yes is always the right deal. Second thing I want you to think about is this. Asking questions of God is all right. You know, I've heard people over the years who say something like this. Well, we really shouldn't question God. I understand what they're trying to say, and, I, and I'm going to address that in this, but I want you to catch this. We must never come to God asking questions that are based on a selfishness or some kind of evil intent. But it is perfectly acceptable to say, God, what is up? When you watch a loved one suffer through Alzheimer's and decline over a period of not weeks but years, you ask yourself sometimes, God, why are they going through this? When we watch loved ones have an accident of no, of their, nothing they did, or they got hit by somebody in a car, and we go, God, why did this happen? It is okay to ask God questions. It is okay to come to God and say, God, I don't understand. But we never want to come and say, God, it's about me. I suspect many of us miss out on God's answer simply because we assume we already know the answer, or we think to ourselves, I can handle this. i got to tell you, I can't handle it. Neither can you. We need God. And it's okay to ask the question. The writer of Hebrews challenged his readers to do better, to what I like to call rise above. 
He said this in Hebrews 4.16, Let us then with (coughs) confidence draw near to the throne of grace. You know, when you you go to the Lord in in prayer, do you come to him and go, Well, God, I'm afraid. I don't know if I can talk to you or not. Or do you come to God and say, God, I'm here. I don't understand. I need you. Will you show me? Will you reveal yourself? I know you can. I believe you can. I know you'll work here. God, will you do it? Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in time to help in time of need. The King of Kings, listen, my friend, is waiting for you to come to his throne and talk to him. And we'd rather scroll Facebook or Twitter or get on the phone and talk to friends and talk to the King of Kings. Come to the Lord Jesus. He wants to hear from you. Trust him in this process to carry on a conversation. Don't shy away from him. One more thought and I'll be done. Ultimately, we have to do what Mary did. We have to choose to follow. You've got to choose to follow. Everyone has to make a decision. It's kind of like Mary's decision. You've got to make a decision that says, I want to trust you, God. I hear your voice. I want to listen. When God reveals himself to you, and I believe he will if you're looking, you've got to make a decision. Will we say yes to God's direction or will we walk away and do our own thing? By the way, that is the essential question for every single one of us. Will we, as the old song says, trust and obey or not? It's a thread that runs through all of Scripture. I mean, think back in the Old Testament. Abraham and Sarah, Abram and Sarah, they were told that they would be the parents of a great nation. And they were old with no kids. But they believed God. That would do it. He said, I believe you, God. David had to, had to choose to believe God. Remember, David was just a kid when he was ordained and selected to be the next king of Israel. He was the kid they forgot out in the pasture. God chose him. It wouldn't be for years before he would actually become king, but God was working. He believed that. Every prophet in the Old Testament was invited to be a part of God's plan, and every single one of them had to say, yes, God, I will follow you. I will listen to you. I will do what you have. John the Baptist had to choose to faithfully follow God's plan for his life. Saul, the guy in the New Testament, not the Old Testament, Saul in the New Testament had to decide on that day on the road to Damascus, is this really what God's maybe going to do in my life? It took a couple days to figure it out, but he finally said what? Okay, here we go. And the rest of his life was radically different. Even Mary had to choose to either believe the angel had been sent by God or not. And this is the decision we have to make with our lives as well. Will we follow God or not? My prayer is that you would agree with the words of Joshua. You know this passage. Just listen. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. And Joshua told them very plainly, and it's my prayer that it was to be your declaration as well, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's why Jesus came, to give you the opportunity to follow him and to be a part of his kingdom's plan. And my prayer is that you choose to follow the rest of your days right behind God and his plan for you and his direction for you. I mean, I think about Mary, the life that she had because she said yes. 
What's your way forward? What does God have for you by saying yes to him? We invite you to respond this morning as God leads you. Maybe you need to uh, make a profession of faith publicly. Maybe you need to uh, connect your life to this church. Maybe you just need to come and pray at an altar. We want to give you the opportunity to do that this morning. Let's have a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be in your house, to worship, to sing, to praise your name, to be reminded of the faithfulness of a young girl named Mary and how we can do the same thing by being faithful to you. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide us in these moments. Father, help us to respond as we need to. In Jesus' name, amen.